0: Thank you everyone for listening to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you on Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, February the 28th, right before tip-off of the Portland Trailblazers game. This is a big game for the Pistons, an opportunity at home to take on a Western Conference team, a win that would help to solidify our position in the playoffs, and that's what this time of year is all about, positioning, getting yourself ready for a playoff push. The Pistons find themselves right in the heart of a playoff battle for probably one of the final seeds in the Eastern Conference. So there's a lot of exciting basketball ahead for our team. And a lot of exciting stuff right now on DetroitBadBoys.com, the home of not just this podcast, but of great weekly, daily content that you have to check out about the team that I love and I know that you love if you're listening to this podcast. Definitely check out DetroitBadBoys.com, your daily site for all Pistons news. On today's episode, Ben and I just kind of go back and forth on a few things that we have in our heads right after the All-Star break. Looking at the first few games after the All-Star break, where the Pistons stand, And just kind of getting a sense of what to expect and what we're seeing in terms of how the team is playing right now. Good episode, a quick wrap session with Ben Galker. I know you're going to love this one. Thanks as always for supporting the podcast. It's time to go to work. All right, so today we've got quite a bit to talk about. This is our first podcast coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, It was a busy All-Star break with the trade deadline right before... Uh, The Pistons have now played two games after the trade deadline, and we're getting into the final 20-ish games of the season, so uh, we're into a pretty important part of the season with the Pistons now just a game up in the eighth spot uh, in the Eastern Conference right now, holding on to the playoffs, but still a lot of work to do to stay there. Uh, So we've got a lot to talk about, and on to talk about the Pistons, as always, is Ben Galker. How are you, Ben?
1: Doing pretty good. Enjoyed the week off to be be honest, taking care of the little one, forgot about basketball for a little bit, but good to be back at it.
0: Yeah, definitely, and uh, before we get to the games uh, that the Pistons have played, let's uh, talk a bit about the trade deadline, because it was definitely interesting, uh, and like every trade deadline, I expected to see more in terms of just the the quantity of moves that were made, uh, but that included the Pistons' staying staying with their current roster and not making any moves at the deadline were you surprised by that and do you think that was the right move for the team
1: uh first of all I was not surprised by that um I don't think any of their guys are really I mean I guess the best way to put it is I think they're kind of at by low by low time right now right like none of them are performing particularly well at the moment obviously Reggie and Drummond have had their struggles their bright spots and their struggles um, clearly they need some, they need some talent. They need some wing play, especially off the bench as we've talked about. Um, but I wasn't surprised by it. And frankly, I mean, there was so little chatter about the Pistons. I mean, there was just really nothing interesting. Um, some vague talk about Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson being available, you know, but nothing concrete that would have been like, you know, oh yeah, that makes the team better by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm totally cool with it. Uh, I think a lot of fans are disappointed and I understand that it's been a disappointing season. Um, But I don't think you want to compound the mistakes by selling law on players who I think have real value, especially as we look at the new collective bargaining agreement going to be taking effect and expected growth in the salary cap. These contracts for guys like Reggie and Tobias and Lure, and even Drummond to an extent on a max deal, are team friendlier and team friendlier uh, as time goes on. So um, disappointed in the sense that, yeah, it would have been great to pull something off, but... Uh, totally cool with it thinking about it in terms of realistically there just wasn't a deal there to be made
0: yeah and you're right that there wasn't a move and the teams at least went in, in terms of cap in a pretty friendly place uh in a pretty friendly place right now but there was a lot of noise but it was all pretty vague and it all just kind of seemed like the team was doing their due diligence and making sure I think I saw Vince Ellis today put out you know they just wanted to make sure they couldn't catch anyone sleeping which I think is a good way of looking at it if someone was ready to make a move if it involved Reggie or Andre and the Pistons were getting the better end of the deal they were willing to make that move and I'm glad that the Pistons are in that position uh, but it was nice to see that we're still confident enough with our roster that we didn't make any sort of panic move. Because that's one thing I was a little nervous about with the way we played before the All-Star break is, could Stan Van be in a position where maybe he panics and kind of sells low on a player, on a starter like Reggie? Uh, I know we talked to Keith on the last podcast about that. Uh, So you're probably happy that Reggie's still on the team at least for now, right? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: I I think Reggie is a solid point guard. I don't know if he fits long term because of his style of play, but he's still a capable player. And you know there's real questions about his health when he's healthy he could make a lot of teams better including this current version of the pistons so i'm very glad they didn't do something crazy and you know i think there was rumors about going and picking up dj augustine and you know stuff like that i don't see how it moves the needle in any particularly good direction so uh, i stand pat sit on the assets and you know this summer it could be crazy you just never know when the when the salary cap goes up and expiring contracts are flying around. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. So there's no sense selling low.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We could find ourselves in a position at, you know, free agency where, sure, we don't have a lot of money to make a move, but we could be in a position where, like the Phoenix trade that brought in Marcus Morris, we could take advantage of a team trying to clear some cap or trying to move some salaries. You're right. There's there's some potential to take advantage of situations in the offseason. And... That, that, to me right now, is a good enough position uh, because we're still, at the moment, at least a playoff team. So I think it's worth talking about what the rest of the East did. Um, not a lot of movement uh, in the Eastern Conference. The big move, of course, was Serge Ibaka adding to Toronto. Uh, when you first heard of that trade, what did you think it meant for the Raptors?
1: Well, I think that's a fantastic trade for them. He fits nicely uh, as kind of a pick-and-pop guy who can hopefully still defend. It, it's, you know, it's hard to know what Serge has left in the tank. I don't think he's been particularly engaged the last couple of years. He hasn't been in great situations, Um, but I still think he's a solid player. I think he still brings something to the table and the Raptors have really been kind of on the hunt to fill the front court with the right pieces. Now flip side of that is it kind of gets offset by the bad news about Kyle Kyle Lowry um, being hurt and potentially being out for the rest of the regular season. So really I think they were they made a good move at the deadline but then injuries happen and, and you know they could be in some trouble because Lowry is a huge part of what they do
0: yeah it's a big test now for Corey Joseph and maybe even Delone Wright who should probably see a lot more minutes now with the news today that Kyle Lowry is going to miss it probably the rest of the regular season uh, I saw optimistically maybe he could play uh, a bit of April leading into the playoffs but that's kind of a blow for the Raptors. I kind of feel now like that team that's finding themselves in the four or five. They made that move for Ibaka, and we're probably thinking maybe they could try to climb up a bit and get to that one or two spot in the East. Maybe they're probably finding themselves in that four or five now. Or do you see them falling at all now that they're missing Lowry?
1: I think it's very possible. I mean, Atlanta still remains a roller coaster of a the team. They're currently sitting at five behind Toronto, three back in the win column. I could see Atlanta pushing Toronto for that four seed. I, I think that's absolutely possible. Past Atlanta, though, things get crazy. I mean, it's Chicago, Indiana, Detroit, Miami, Milwaukee, and who knows what the heck is going to happen. And even Charlotte. I mean, they've they've been really bad, but they've also been injured, and they've been able to string together win streaks. Um, early in the season, they put together a couple of really nice win streaks. So, really, 6 through tw- 12 is Pandora's box, and just about anything could happen. So, hard for me to see Toronto dropping down below fifth, because I think there's still a lot of talent there. Obviously, Rosen can score the ball, uh, and Ibaka can score a little bit too, um, but man, Lowry's a big loss for them.
0: Yeah, I, I think Lowry's a huge loss. I think it's a good opportunity for Corey Joseph, who will be playing some meaningful minutes right now, and maybe in the playoffs when you get Lowry back, if he's at 100%, then you at least know you can go to Joseph if he's not at 100% or in times just to you know, sub him out and to keep him rested. So I think there's the possibility that you know Toronto can kind of just tread water here in that 4-5, um, and I think a lot of the teams toward the top of the East are thinking about doing the same. You've got Cleveland resting LeBron a bit, and um, you've got the Kevin Love injury. Boston standing pad again at another deadline. And Washington making a a move to add a rotation player, uh, but again, nothing that really kind of moves the needle for them. Um, The Bogdanovich trade, I I don't know if you have any big takes, big hot takes from that trade. Um, But do you think that helps Washington uh, going forward?
1: It doesn't hurt them. I mean, it's always nice to have a big guy off the bench who can shoot the ball. But, I mean, if the question is fill in the blank with the team that Bogdanovich makes a contender, I think the answer is nobody, pretty much. So, I, you know, especially Washington, a team that I'm I'm still skeptical of them. I don't know why they've been winning for a while now, but um, yeah, I can't see him making a huge difference.
0: I really think it starts with Scotty Brooks. If you're talking about not being sure about Washington, <laughs> it's, it's that whole situation, Bradley Beal is finally healthy, Otto Porter is playing for a contract and doing a pretty good job of yeah. getting the max this year. It's... It's an interesting team that's getting the most out of their pieces right now, and it's credit to Scotty Brooks. It's it's very strange. I agree with you. Uh, this was a team I thought could could make the playoffs, but I saw them maybe 6-8 through eight in the East, and yeah. now they look very confidently in the top half of the East. It's, it's surprising even at this point of the year.
1: Yeah, Porter's having a breakout season. There's no way around it. He's scoring the ball halfway decent, too. He's always been sort of a productive non-scorer, but... Um, you know, 14 points a game, that's that's not bad for a guy who, you know, third, fourth option, you know, right next to Marcus Morris after Wall and Beal. And then, of course, doing all the other things he does um, outside of scoring as well.
0: Well, I think you, you had a nice transition there earlier about the mess between 6 and 12. And I think that's really what's interesting, not just for Pistons fans, but in watching this Eastern Conference right now, I'm pretty confident those top five will be there in the playoffs. Six through eight is when you start to lose confidence. And you see the Bulls, Pacers, and Pistons on the inside right now. On the outside, you've got the Heat, Bucks, and Hornets. Uh, Those teams all were quiet at the deadline in terms of making moves. And they all, you know, injuries have been a concern for every team. Um, Chemistry has been an issue for the Bulls. You've got some, some major questions about each of these rosters. Which of those teams do you feel most confident of those six to make the playoffs right now
1: man so (laughs) the the team that i haven't liked all season that i'm starting to come around to is indiana um chicago to me so they're currently sitting at six tied with indiana six and seven um chicago to me i they could blow up at any minute they looked like they were going to blow up when the whole Rajon rondo instagram thing happened Somehow they've managed to hold it together. Jimmy Butler is, is a beast of a player, a legit superstar. Um, so I, I lean towards Indiana maybe being the closest thing to lock of that group. Um, Milwaukee is scary to me because Antetokounmpo is so good, and they've been so streaky. Um, they've been really, really good for stretches and then really, really bad for stretches. Um, so if they go on a really, really good stretch at the right time, they could surge into the eight spot and catch somebody sleeping or something like that. But to me, it is so hard to predict. I, I would love to say that I'm confident in Detroit right now, but I'm not. If Reggie Jackson were healthy, I'd feel a lot better. But he, you know, probably isn't. Somehow Miami's still around. I, I, that to me is as surprising as anything in the East. Uh, and then you know, I'm not really willing to write off Charlotte yet. They've got a couple huge multi-game win streaks this year, like Milwaukee. Um, I talked about it a few podcasts back where they're one like six of seven, seven of eight, but then lose seven in a row or something like that. So they're another team that they're running out of games, but if they go on a win streak can put themselves right back in the conversation. So yeah, that's a long way of saying, I think Indiana has sort of won me over. Uh, And then beyond that, you know, I just don't know what to make out of any of these teams, including our Pistons.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And I, I guess I should have added Chicago at the deadline He's trying that rebuild on the fly that many teams have tried yeah. uh, that doesn't always work out, flipping Taj Gibson and uh, Doug McDermott for campaign. It's an interesting move and one that gives them a point guard that probably doesn't need the ball. He's played with Russell Westbrook, so he's gotten used to not having the ball in his hands. Uh, and now with Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade and, and Cameron Payne, it's an it's a decent backcourt that Chicago has. But you're right, I think I'm more confident in Indiana than Chicago even though Chicago's enjoying a win streak right now, that that's really hard to make sense of. I think the two strangest streaks going right now in the NBA, you've got Chicago winning four straight, Miami winning three straight and eight of their last ten after that 12-game win streak they enjoyed. You're right, they're hanging around after that terrible start to the season. They're the team, to me, I think I have the most confidence in. And I think it starts with the head coach and what he's done with that roster. I think Eric Spolster has gotten the most out of one of the weaker rosters of those six teams and it's working i i think that's a team that uh looking at their future schedule i think they're one that makes them move into the playoff picture i'm not sure who they bump out probably chicago um but that's a team to me i have the most confidence in, and they're on the outside right now uh, a full game back of us so indiana i still i still have some questions and for me it's looking at that team in the last five or six games the defense again becoming an issue as it was at the beginning of the season and if that continues that that could kind of put them in a tough position for the rest of the way if they can't get back to playing even average defense for the rest of the year
1: yeah it, in three days from now this conversation could look entirely different right because someone could someone could you know lose to their next three and the defense could fall apart like you mentioned in Indiana because these teams just aren't as good as I thought they'd be. I mean, Charlotte in particular has really struggled and you know, they've had some injuries that have hurt them more than I think most people would expect. Zeller being out, I forget how many games he's so important to their defense, but like you mentioned with Miami, any of these teams are capable of winning six or seven in a row. And that just throws everything, you know, it throws everything upside down. So literally anything could happen and it should be, you know, it should be sort of, sort of fun. Hopefully for Pistons fans, you know, they can find a way to keep running this race. Um, in spite of the fact that they've had their own struggles to
0: deal with. Yeah, well, let's just focus now just on the Pistons. Uh, We've seen two games now after the trade deadline. We'll start with that Charlotte Hornets game, uh, an overtime thriller, a game that it looked like the team was dead at certain points of the third and even fourth quarter. Uh, They come storming back and win this game in overtime. What did you think of the effort uh, of the Pistons in that game? And were there any major takeaways for the second half of the season just from that one game?
1: Yeah, um, so I was fortunate enough to miss the first half of this game and a good chunk of the second half, so I only saw the good bits. Um, To me, the thing that is going to be so interesting is the point guard saga. Uh, Who is Bam Gundy going to close games with and why? Um, Against the Hornets, Reggie only played just under 20 minutes, uh, and Ish sort of closed the game. Neither of them played particularly well, at least in terms of shooting the ball, but 16 assists for Ish Smith excellent, um, excellent, excellent facilitating of the offense and and Tobias and KCP just kind of blew up. And to me, one of the, one of the interesting things we're seeing about KCP in terms of what are we thinking about when we close the season, who's going to run the point and who's going to take the big shots. And and KCP is turning into a bit of a killer. Uh, He's not afraid and he's shooting the ball well, especially in the clutch. I forget the numbers, but I saw it on Twitter either yesterday or the day before Uh, And that's really interesting. Who's going to take the big shots? It looks like KCP. And who would have thought that a year ago? Uh, The the early struggles he had shooting the ball in his career, turning into just sort of an assassin uh, on both ends of the floor. Big defensive possessions. And and coming off screen and in transition, his three-point shot is looking pretty deadly.
0: Yeah, and he was so clutch in that game, and really the reason we were able to turn it around. The way he's played with Ish Smith, I think could be the difference in seeing Ish in late-game situations, at least while Reggie continues to come back, because you're right. I definitely now have a concern that health is an issue, uh, or at least conditioning right now is an issue with Reggie Jackson. And having him forced it in late-game situations, we'll talk about Boston in a minute, <laughs> Is that that's one that sticks out right away, is not something that's in the team's best interest. Getting the ball in KCP's hands and getting him in the opportunities that's probably better for the team right now with the way he's playing and especially shooting the ball. Uh, In the last four or five, he's been just fantastic. You're right on both ends of the floor, which is kind of what we expect now out of KCP.
1: Yeah. And I haven't dug into the numbers on this, but it strikes me just watching KCP play that he's more comfortable moving as opposed to being a standstill spot up shooter, right? So when Ish is in the game, They run a lot more motion offense, where KCP coming off screens, especially on the baseline, is a big part of the system. Whereas with Reggie, it's much more pick-and-roll heavy, which means guys are kind of standing around waiting for the defense to rotate. So that'll be something to watch as well. What does the offense look like when Ish is on the court versus when Reggie is on the court? And how does that impact the way KCP is able to get involved in the offense? Uh, You know, I'm pleasantly surprised by how it's developing – But I think you're right that he tends to look more comfortable with Ish on the floor and if he does become the clutch player that might be a a pretty big deciding factor in what they choose to do at point guard
0: well so we saw the decision that SVG made in the Charlotte game with the rotation and late game situation going with a hot hand playing Ish Smith and Tobias Harris more in the end of the game Uh, a different look at the end of the Boston game A 104-98 loss for the Pistons. A game that it just seemed we were never in, uh, but we did make some nice runs at times. But Boston would just rip off these big big runs throughout the game that made it really difficult for the Pistons to ever get that close. Uh, But we did have a chance at the end of that game. And I know Reggie got a lot of flack on basketball Twitter for some of those shots at the end of the game. Would you have just gone again with that with Ish Smith at the end of game after what we saw in Charlotte, or are you okay with playing Reggie the way we did in the Boston game?
1: Well, I'm okay with it in the sense that I don't think Ish was particularly good against Boston, and I think um, I, I think especially when Boston Boston really exposed parts of both point guards. So I don't know if you noticed this, but like when Marcus Smart was in the game and Reggie got switched onto Marcus Smart. They just abused Reggie inside. Reggie just got pinned down. Marcus is a big wide body. Um, And then Ish, of course, you know, he might be a little bit better matchup for Isaiah Thomas, but nobody can really stop Isaiah Thomas right now. So I don't think either Pistons point guard is in a particularly good situation. And Reggie, really, he was solid except for some dumb shots. So I was fine with it because I think Reggie did outplay Ish last night. uh, It's just that the weaknesses in his game were particularly apparent. He's not quick enough right now to stay in front of Isaiah Thomas. And then when he got switched into bigger players, he just got buried inside. Uh, And I think that was a really good bit of coaching, uh, very deep into the scattering port, knowing that that was something they could try to expose on the Pistons defense.
0: And it's definitely been a problem for the team all year when it comes to those Guards like Marcus Smart, and he's kind of one that just sticks out for us. That's been a tough matchup. Avery Bradley as well. Boston's lucky to have two players like that. Um, That can be tough matchups for Ish being a smaller player. So I can understand, like you said, going to Reggie uh, more often in that game. Going forward now, is this something that Pistons fans should expect, that just each night we're going to see a little different use and distribution of minutes at the point guard position or do you think Reggie as he gets more comfortable will just kind of settle back into his usual role
1: well if Reggie's not healthy and if Reggie can't be as explosive as he was a year ago then I hope this is what we see and I think we've got what probably 10 or 12 games now of Van Gundy doing this right willing to experiment based on who's playing well and I prefer that I, I think as inconsistent as Reggie has been, and even ish at times, too, you might as well play the guy who's playing well. Um, what I, well, we're talking about rotations, I think the thing, even though Reggie got a lot of flack because of some of those ill-advised shots at the end of the game, what really killed the Pistons last night in crunch time was Andre Drummond, and specifically Andre Drummond's inability to stay on the floor. Boston had several. I, I think Vince Ellis suited out five offensive rebounds in the last two or three minutes of the game, and that's because Andre Drummond wasn't on the floor for, for big, important chunks of that stretch because he went one for 11 from the free throw line. Hmm. Uh, we've, we've talked to death about it, but, you know, Reggie took the flack, but Andre, a lot of that was on Andre's inability ability to, to make free throws. The, the Pistons, when you go with Lure and you go with Tobias, you lose a lot in terms of rebounding. And, and Boston, one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA, maybe the worst rebounding team in the NBA, came up with some huge second-chance opportunities to own stretch, and that was killer.
0: Yeah, and the missed free throws, you're right. In, in a close game situation, that's when it really shows uh, when he's struggling like that. And not just that, but it seemed last night he was really struggling defensively as well. And, and that's something that I've been trying to keep my eye on because I keep hearing net rating and the negative net rating he's had all season. And I don't always notice it because if I'm just watching... The numbers in the box scores, you don't always see it with Andre, but last night it really showed. This is someone that is unsure of his position on the defense. And when you've got a smart team like Boston and a well-coached team, they can really take advantage of having one guy out of place on defense. And KCP can only make up for so much, and it, it seems like Andre's becoming a bit of a weak link defensively. Uh, is there anything the Pistons can do to kind of mask that? Or is there anything you're seeing from Andre that he needs to improve?
1: Well, I, I think really defense starts with stopping dribble penetration. And the Pistons had a, a very difficult time containing Isaiah Thomas. I think they did a decent job in the first half, but particularly in the second half, I think they struggled uh, defending him off the dribble. Um, against a team like Boston with a guy as talented as Isaiah, you're just going to have breakdowns. It's just going to happen. He's going to beat you. And, going to happen. I think what they need to do long term, if Andre is the max franchise player that they want him to be, they're going to have to figure out how to build around him, and part of that means putting better on the on-ball defenders in the perimeter. Um, Reggie, at his best, is not a great defender. He's he's passable. Uh, and, And Ish, I think at times can be a little bit scrappier, but he can get outsized, and that can cause the same problems in terms of rotating. Because Andre's big weakness is he gets lost in rotations. Time and again, he gets lost. He does okay when he has to be the guy who who makes the cover, but if he's the second guy rotating, he gets lost and everything sort of breaks down. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that is instinct, and I don't know how much of that can be taught. The thing I keep coming back to is that he's still two or three years away from when you'd expect him to be in his prime. So it, it's just too early to close the book. But those are the two things, right? So stop Ben dribble penetration i think that means upgrading our wing defense and then secondly you know this summer he's got to watch a lot of tape and he's going to have to to see those areas where he's the second guy rotating and when it breaks down understanding why and what he can do differently
0: Yeah, and it's something that you're right, that type of progression that we're looking for might not be something we can see even the rest of the season. It could be a few years away for Andre uh, as he continues to get comfortable uh, in his role on this team. So you're right, they have to build around, but also I I would like to see, for me it's not even an issue of effort as much as it just seems sometimes like he's not comfortable with what he should be doing defensively.
1: Yeah, and, and I think one other thing they could do, this is this is something I think they could do in season, and there's been some talk about this on NBA Twitter, is use Andre more aggressively to try to dra- trap and push the pick and roll. He's been very passive, and I think that's scheme because Baines, Baines sort of does the same thing. Whenever there's a point guard center pick and roll, the big man sags and goes way under. I think Andre has quick enough feet and hands where they might be able to use him to sort of push the the point guard even further out onto the perimeter and sort of attack the pick and roll defensively as opposed to being passive because uh, t- to me one of Andre's strengths on defense is his ability to play the passing lanes. I mean we've seen him strip smaller defenders, we've seen him um, last night unfortunately get the strip and then brick a dunk um, auditioning for the Sprite endorsement I guess um, but I do think they could, that's one thing they could do tangibly this season an in-season adjustment and my thought is it can't get any works, right? So you might as well try
0: it. That. That's very true, yeah. And uh, it'll be a good test coming up. We've got uh, Portland Trailblazers, CJ McCollum, and, and Damian Lillard. Another tough matchup of guards for the Pistons and for Andre Drummond. Uh, this week, actually, they've got Portland and then two road games at New Orleans and then on Saturday against Philadelphia. The rest of this week, what are your expectations for the team? And what are you going to be looking for in those three games?
1: Well, first thing I'm looking for is, and I hate cliche intangibles, but effort to me these last two games, there were lots of opportunities for this team to quit and they didn't. And I think we've seen that probably over the last 10 or 12 games. There's, there's some amount of belief internally to the organization right now that they're, they're a better team than their record and they're not giving up on games. Portland is tough I mean, Lillard and McCollum is a nightmare backcourt. Who do you, who who does KCP guard? I assume Lillard, but you know McCollum is just so deadly from deep. Um, and then this week we've got, as you mentioned, New Orleans away. Could be interesting. Could be fun. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Van Gundy adapts to big ball. That's not really his thing most of the time. Um, and then the Sixers. That's Pistons just have to win that game there in full-on tank mode. Um, Two out of three would be really good because I think Portland's a tough matchup. And who knows what the heck the Pelicans are. They probably don't know right now either. Um, Two out of three would be be a very good thing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's good to catch New Orleans now uh, because later in the season, once DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis figure out how to play together, that might be a much tougher matchup than what it will be right now. I think you're right. I'm expecting the team to be more than competitive. I think two of three should be the expectation for this week. Uh, starting with Portland and then hopefully Philadelphia. You're right. That should be one to write in now that they've benched Embiid. We're not seeing Simmons this season. Clearly the tank is on there. And that's good news for the Pistons because you've got them two more times this season. You've got Brooklyn two more times. And that is the one thing to keep in mind with the Pistons. They have one of the easier schedules going forward. And if we can take advantage, that might be enough to keep us in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I know on paper they have sort of an easy schedule, but if you if you look at it real close, like so after the Philly game they got they go Chicago at home at Indiana, Cleveland at home, New York at home at Cleveland, and then they've got several other games against other Eastern Conference playoffs teams. So as we think about the chaos that is six through twelve in the East right now, yep. all of those games count as a win and a loss for somebody. So things get you know doubly important coming down the stretch. So on paper, yeah, it's easy. But there's a lot of really important games against teams that they're battling with for playoff position.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you're right. A week from now, probably the next time I talk to you, we could be looking at a very different yeah. looking Eastern Conference playoff picture. So this is something that we'll keep our eye on. But at the same time, you have to look ahead because there's just fewer and fewer games on the NBA, on the NBA schedule. Uh, so you start to get a better idea of where these teams are going to start falling pretty soon. All right, well, I will uh, be talking to you soon, Ben, probably in about a week or so after uh, these next three games for sure. So uh, we'll be talking
1: soon. Thanks. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you on Twitter and on DetroitBadBoys.com.